0: Welcome to the cocky ride home for friday june 18th 2021 i'm jackson bird a newly discovered species of giant rhino might be the largest land mammal that ever walked the earth did you know there are probably dinosaur teeth on the moon for real The Girl Scouts have millions of leftover cookies, and we must do our part by eating as many as we can. And China sent its first crewed mission up to their new space station yesterday. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. A new species of giant rhino that lived 26.5 million years ago was just unveiled, and it could be the largest land mammal that ever walked the Earth. Paraceratherium Linzea Insa, identified from fossils from central China's Linsia Basin, is, quoting National Geographic, the latest known species in a group of giant hornless rhinos that lived across Central Asia from roughly 50 million years ago until 23 million years ago. P. Linzea insa and its kin are all famous for their huge sizes. The average adult is thought to have stood more than 16 feet tall at the shoulder, with a nearly seven-foot-long neck topped by a massive skull. Today's giraffes are between 14 and 19 feet tall, head and all. The giant rhinos would have been able to eat flowers at the third or fourth floor of a building, says National Geographic explorer Pierre-Olivier Antoine, a rhino paleontologist at France's University of Montpellier, who reviewed the new study, end quote. And for more context on its enormous size, quoting Science Alert, today, modern rhinos stand barely two meters tall, or ten feet. Still, it's the beast's mass that makes it stand out as a true land behemoth. While a lack of complete fossils makes it hard to pin down, estimates vary anywhere from 11 to 20 tons, roughly the same as 3 to 5 African elephants combined. And judging from the skull of this big fella, researchers think P. Linzeaensa could be the largest giant rhino in its genus, although the team doesn't give any objective dimensions, end quote. Until now, Paraceratherium fossils have been few and far between, often fragmentary. This new finding, originally discovered in 2015, surprised the researchers because it was so well-preserved and intact. And it may hold clues to the migration of this genus overall. Quoting National Geographic, The group's longtime home appears to have been Central Asia, but the first species of Paraceratherium ever found, P. Bugtiensa, lived in what is now western Pakistan. How exactly did this giant rhino get all the way to the Indian subcontinent? Based on its similarities to the giant rhino from Pakistan, the new findings suggest that giant rhinos moved freely across thousands of miles between Central Asia and the Indian subcontinent between 30 and 35 million years ago. Tropical conditions at the time allowed the giant rhino to return northward to Central Asia, implying that the Tibetan region was still not uplifted as a high-elevation plateau, said lead author Tao Deng in an email, an idea that's backed up by geological evidence suggesting the area still had some low-lying parts until about 25 million years ago, end quote. Referring to the Paraceratherium's Oligocene home in what is now the Tibetan Plateau, National Geographic describes them as, quote, a skyscraper of an animal interred in what is now the roof of the world, end quote. Speaking of fossils, are there dinosaur fossils on the moon? Sounds fake, but actually, yeah, there probably are this idea gets brought up every couple of years. Most recently, it was reignited first by an old Twitter thread being amplified again, which shared a selection from Peter Brannon's book The Ends of the World. And then science communicator Hank Green, aka Gen Z's answer to Bill Nye, shared his take on the concept on TikTok earlier this month. So what's the science behind it? Well, let's talk about the meteorite that took out the non-avian dinosaurs first. For his book, Brandon spoke to geophysicist Mario Rebelledo, who said, quote, The meteorite itself was so massive that it didn't notice any atmosphere whatsoever. It was traveling 20 to 40 kilometers per second, 10 kilometers, probably 14 kilometers wide, pushing the atmosphere and building such incredible pressure that the ocean in front of it just went away, end quote. And Brandon himself continues, quote, These numbers are precise without usefully conveying the scale of the calamity. What they mean is that a rock larger than Mount Everest hit planet Earth, traveling 20 times faster than a bullet. This is so fast that it would have traversed the distance from the cruising altitude of a 747 to the ground in 0.3 seconds. The asteroid itself was so large that, even at the moment of impact, the top of it might have still towered more than a mile above the cruising altitude of a 747. In its nearly instantaneous descent, it compressed the air below it so violently that it briefly became several times hotter than the surface of the sun. And again from Rebeledo, the pressure of the atmosphere in front of the asteroid started excavating the crater before it even got there. Then, when the meteorite touched ground zero, it was totally intact. It was so massive that the atmosphere didn't even make a scratch on it. And from Brannon, unlike the typical Hollywood CGI depictions of asteroid impacts where an extraterrestrial charcoal briquette gently smolders across the sky, in the Yucatan, it would have been a pleasant day one second, and the world was already over by the next. As the asteroid collided with the Earth, in the sky above it where there should have been air, the rock had punched a hole of outer space vacuum in the atmosphere. As the heavens rushed in to close this hole, enormous volumes of Earth were expelled into the orbit and beyond, all within a second or two of impact. So there's probably little bits of dinosaur bone up on the moon, Brannon asked. Yeah, probably, said Revelado. end quote. And from IFL Science... If a body from space is large enough and fast enough, the impact can cause debris to achieve escape velocity, 11.2 kilometers a second, and leave our atmosphere entirely. A lot of it will fall back on the planet, but other pieces may be ejected from the planet's influence and head out into the solar system, possibly putting them on collision courses with other planets." We have a lot of evidence of this happening, with at least 289 meteorites that have made it from impacts on Mars all the way to Earth discovered on our planet so far. Many moons in the solar system are thought to have been created by gigantic impacts, including our own. It may even be possible for microorganisms to survive the journey from Earth to other planets or vice versa while hidden in rock, according to recent research." So it's totally possible that little bits of dinosaur ended up on the moon following the impact of the Chicxulub crater. But as for if those fossils are still up there, I turned to Hank Green on TikTok. There is nothing on the moon to degrade bone once it gets there. So whatever survived is still there. There's no geologic processes to weather it, no water, no bacteria to break it down. So the moon could be like a treasure trove of dinosaur information. But it is all a snapshot of the one moment when a giant asteroid hit Earth. Now, of course, these are gonna be little tiny bits of dinosaurs, cause there was a very large explosion. But yes, dinosaurs beat us to the moon by 65 million years. Though, as IFL Science points out, quote, dinosaurs didn't so much step foot on the moon as spray themselves across it like water from a super soaker, end quote. Also, Green points out that most likely there are dinosaur teeth on the moon because teeth are super sturdy. Green calls them face rocks. So, yeah, the moon isn't made of cheese, but it might be littered with dinosaur teeth. The Latest Victim of the Pandemic? Girl Scout Cookies Due to challenges with in-person sales and a declining membership exacerbated by the lockdown, the Girl Scouts of the USA have been left with 15 million boxes of leftover cookies. They usually sell around 200 million boxes a year, but this year, 12 out of that 15 million surplus never even left the bakery warehouses in Kentucky and Indiana, according to a statement made by the Girl Scouts earlier this week. Kelly Parisi, a Girl Scouts spokeswoman, said they expected a decline in sales given the challenges from the pandemic, but she noted it's, quote, exceedingly rare to have significant excess inventory, end quote. Tish Bolger, the chief executive of the Girl Scouts of Minnesota and Wisconsin River Valleys, said that while sales overall were down 6% in her region from last year, online sales went up 10%. And when people found cookies, she told the New York Times, they bought a lot of them, But it still wasn't enough to make up the difference. One reason was a drop in membership, with kids being out of school and unable to recruit new members. Quoting a V Club, in past years, excess cookie supplies have been donated to the military and first responders, but there's still time to do your part before it comes to that. The red-blooded Americans among our readership can still order cookies via the Girl Scouts website, or you can get them delivered to your door via Grubhub, end quote. Now, I will note that the Girl Scouts have not confirmed that they will be sending all of these leftovers to the military or first responders, and that when I tried to order cookies online this morning, I wasn't able to. I put in Several zip codes across the US and was told for each one that cookie season was over and the troops in that region had met their goals. If you know a Girl Scout, you can get her personal digital cookie storefront link. The Girl Scouts still like to emphasize the Scouts making their own sales and learning business skills even as things have gone digital, so the process isn't exactly straightforward. And the Grubhub collaboration, which was new this cookie season, might actually be over as well. In any case, it was mostly just facilitating delivery. Once again, the Girl Scouts themselves were maintaining their own digital storefronts and inventories. So you can go to the Girl Scouts website or download their Cookie Finder app to search for sales in your area. But overall, I am not clear on how exactly we can help eat all these leftover cookies, a responsibility which AV Club is calling an unprecedented national crisis that we must rise to meet as pioneers of freedom. I think it's likely the Girl Scouts are still putting together some sort of alternate plan or just going to donate them quietly, but if I get any more intel, I will let you know. I mean, we simply cannot let all of those Thin Mints go to waste. Yesterday, China successfully sent three astronauts, or taikonauts, to their Tianhe module, which will eventually become their completed Tiangong space station. Nia Haisheng, Liu Boming, and Tang Hongbo, whose identities were kept secret until a press conference on Wednesday, will spend three months aboard the module, bringing it into service and preparing it for the next phase of the space station's construction. It will be the longest crewed mission by the Chinese space agency to date. The Tiangong Space Station will end up looking like a big cross and will include crew quarters, science labs, and even a Hubble-class telescope. When completed, it will be a fifth of the mass of the International Space Station, and China is open to having foreign nationals on board to collaborate. Three more crewed flights are planned to complete construction, which is on schedule to be done sometime in 2022. Quoting the BBC, a fighter pilot, Nia Haisheng, 56, is said to be China's oldest astronaut in space. He's a veteran of two previous flights, which included a 15-day visit in 2013 to the prototype station Tiangong-1. This has since been deorbited. His crewmates, Liu Boming, 54, and Tang Hongbo, 45, are also from an Air Force background. Liu's earlier spaceflight experience was on the Shenzhou 7 mission in 2008 that saw him participate in China's first-ever spacewalk, and Mr. Tang is the rookie on this occasion having never before gone into orbit. End quote. In addition to landing a rover on Mars last month, China became the first country to send an uncrewed rover to the far side of the moon in 2019. While the U.S. has been prohibited from working with China's space program per a law passed by Congress in 2011, which is part of why China has to make its own space station because with the U.S. leading the International Space Station Partnership, China therefore can't be a part of it. NASA has been outwardly congratulatory of China's recent achievements, with NASA Administrator Bill Nelson saying in a statement yesterday, quote, Congratulations to China on the successful launch of crew to their new space station. I look forward to the scientific discoveries to come, end quote. And you can watch a video of the launch at the link in the show notes. Well, it's Friday, so let's end with some lighthearted game news. First, Tamagotchi has a new design to celebrate its 25th anniversary, and this time they've ditched the keychains for full-color smartwatches. The Tamagotchi Smart brings you everything you love about your digital pet, but upgrades it with better graphics, color, and typical smartwatch features like a touchscreen, voice activation, a pedometer, and also, you know, the time... Right now, they're just being sold via lottery, but this November, they'll go on sale for about 70 bucks, just in time for Christmas. But as for a game that you can play right now, Jason shared a cool one on Kaki.org this morning that, honestly, is kind of more fun and captivating than it has any right to be. It's simply called Feels and is basically a Where's Waldo or Where's Wally" game but with emoji, so you get a full screen of different emoji and have to find the one that it tells you to, which changes on every level as the variety of emojis also gets more diverse and therefore more challenging. It was created by Games for Crows and also has some really satisfying background music and sound effects. I could seriously spend so much time playing this silly emoji game, so hopefully you like it too. But that is it for this week. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media and Kotke.org. I am Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again on Monday.